this section so practical is we can look at them and we can see what it is that God really wants to be and it's an incredible parallel because everything that God says is true of them or will be true of them in just a few years in, in, in tribulation period everything that God says will be true of them we can go to other places in the scripture and see that God commands that those things be true of us though they be not true of us God commands that they be true in our lives and so we've been trying to glean these practical applications from this we, we, we talked about the visible evidence of their identification with the lamb and if we know the, the lamb which of course is the Lord Jesus Christ it'll be visible in our life it'll be visible the same way it is in theirs through the seal and through the submission that they offer to Christ and it'll be visible in our lives as well there ought to be audible evidence of our connection just as it is, as it is with the, the 144,000 and then look at Roman numeral 3 <clears throat> there's moral evidence of their relation to the lamb and his father and this is what's been holding us up for the last the last several weeks and to be quite honest with you if you're a guest with us today over the last several weeks it's been some it's been some quiet times this is a pretty noisy bunch uh, normally uh, a lot of amens and to be quite honest with you the last few weeks have been a lot of oh me's because we've hit on something it, the 144,000 it says that these are those who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins there's absolute moral evidence that they know the Lord Jesus Christ now, as you begin to go through the scripture what you begin to see is God tells us in the church age he tells us very specifically very pointedly very candidly if we know the Lord Jesus Christ there will be moral evidence of the relationship that we have with him it will be found in our life if we know him in Laodicea however there's a bunch of people running around claiming to be born again and there is not according to the Word of God moral evidence of the fact that they are related to the lamb or his father you see one of the things that's true of Laodiceans is our ability to deceive ourselves we can look at the scripture and the scripture says very pointedly that if you are a fornicator you will not inherit the kingdom of God now it's just wild it, it says it three times we, we've hammered that over the last several weeks and it's crazy Christians who are living in moral sin can read that and convince themselves they're going to inherit the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, it's, it's craziness. But that's what goes on. And we've also been talking about the fact, because this is, by and large, a group of people that would not, just like the Pharisees, would not allow themselves to actually commit the act of fornication or adultery or some form of uncleanness. But what's going on on the inside of us? I mean, if we were fleshing out everything that comes through the mind, we would be a despicable group of people. And you see, Laodiceans can have all this going on in the mind and not really understand that to God, it's detestable. 
that we're abhorrent because we're not carrying out the act. And, and what, what Jesus tried to get people like us to see in his day is that you get the outside all cleaned up while the inside is like a tomb of dead men's bones that's rotting and stinking on the inside. And that's not what he's looking for. And, and so we, we've been just trying over the last several weeks. And again, y'all, let's church, I'm talking to you now. It's just been tough. There, there have been some very black and white statements that have been made as we've seen the black and white right from the Word of God. And I'm, I'm blessed in how that you, you've received it. The reason we have kept pounding this is because we are such Laodiceans and because this, this moral thing that goes on on the inside of most believers is running so rampant and we've done it so long and it's, it's just become an accepted thing to us. We've just been letting the Scripture just pound us week after week after week to get us to see that this, to God, is not something that He winks at. This is not something that he, he passes over. This strikes at the very core of our relationship with him. And, and what, what, to be quite honest with you, the reason we've taken all of this time is I want us to get to the place to where we're going, all right, okay, I admit it, I'm guilty, I'm wrong, I stink, I'm wretched. What do I do about it? And you know what? We haven't talked about what you do about it. Because you know what? Most of us still aren't asking. So what do I do about it? I, I, you know what? I, I think before we're going to get out of this thing, we've got to come to the place to where we see this sin the way that God sees it. So that we'll cry out with Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24 when he says, Oh, wretched man that I am! You see, he understood some things about himself. In Romans 7, leading up to this, you know what he said? The things I don't want to do, I do. The things that I don't... Let me start over. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. And he comes to the place to where he so sees that that he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And, and you know what I would love? I would love for the Word of God to be so pounding every single one of us in this room that we genuinely come to the place of Romans 7.24 where in desperation we're asking, all right, don't preach on this anymore. Just tell me what do I do to get out of it? And it's because I'm not sure we're there, we're going to have another shot to let God bring us to the place to where we see just how wretched this thing really is. So if, if, and for those of you that are tired about this and like to go into something else, oh, my Laodicean brother, would you please ask God to do something in your heart? For believers to continue in sexual sin, whether it be in thought or deed, what makes it so horrendous, y'all? What makes this so detestable, so abhorrent? And find a word. I, I can't think of one right now that w would be graphic enough to explain how horrendous this is to God. The reason it is is because it implies, first of all, 
that Satan's power is more powerful than God's. We were saved so that we could be released from Satan's power unto God's. And in Ephesians chapter 3, what he says to us is that through the church, through us, y'all, he wanted to put his manifold wisdom on display to Satan and all of the principalities and powers. And here we are. A, a, a sorry bunch of people who act like unsaved people when we're supposed to be God's demonstration of his glorious power representing, listen to what it says in Ephesians, the eternal purpose of Jesus Christ. And when we cannot get the victory, what it implies is that Satan's power is more powerful than God. Now, obviously it's not, but you see, you've got to make those kind of statements to lay out a scene because if you, if you don't, it just doesn't get through our thick heads that this is not characteristic of believers in Christ and so that we don't pass it off as normal. We, we, we make statements like that. Then next, it ineffectualizes or makes of none effect the prayer of Jesus on our behalf. He prayed specifically that the world and all of that world thinking and all of that world system over which Satan is the head, that it would not take up residence in us and then thirdly, it identifies us with the most despicable people in the entire Word of God. First of all, it identifies us with unsaved Gentiles. And just so that we could get this to where you, you got it, I, I said this real quick last week. Unsaved Gentiles are referred to biblically as heathen in Galatians 2.9. Colossians 3.6, they're referred to as children of disobedience. Ephesians 2, 3, they're referred to as children of wrath. These are the ones that the wrath of God is going to come upon, and we act like them. 1 John 3, 10, children of the devil. Matthew 13, 38, children of the wicked one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, children of the night. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, again, children of darkness. And Romans 6, 17, check this out, servants of sin. And for us to continue in moral sin, sexual sin, again, whether it be in thought or in deed, identifies us with those type of people. Number two, it identifies us with false prophets. What he says of false prophets there is that, that it, their eyes are constantly committing adultery and they cannot cease from sin. And I'm telling you, it sounds like a description of Laodicean men eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin and yet what this is characteristic of in this passage are false prophets thirdly it identifies us and this is unbelievable Romans 129 it identifies us do you remember with reprobates I mean come on with reprobates Romans 129 talks about those who are reprobates who are listen to it filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. Listen, that's Laodiceans. Right there. Filled with it. But when you go to the Scripture and you look at believers in Jesus Christ, what it says is believers are commanded to be filled with joy and peace. Filled, that's Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 14, filled with all knowledge 
Ephesians 3.19, filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians 5.18, filled with the Spirit. Philippians 1.11, filled with the fruits of righteousness. And Colossians 1.9, filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what we're to be filled with, not filled with unrighteousness and wickedness and fornication. But, but again, if you'll talk to 99% of male-believing Laodiceans, they'll tell you they're filled with fornication, wickedness in the thinking. But, and this is where we pick up today, not, not only does this thing of our continuance in sexual sin, not only does it imply that Satan's power is more powerful than God's, not only does it ineffectualize the prayer of Jesus on our behalf, not only does it identify us with the most despicable people in the entire Word of God, there's a fourth thing. It incapacitates our ability to give God the one thing He desires from us more than anything else. Our love. Our love. Listen. What, what I want you to see this morning as we go through this. Because you know what? Though this has all been hard and, and very forthright, very black and white, I do believe that the people in this room, I do believe that we desire to love God. Don't you? We want to. And what we don't realize is that through what goes on in our thoughts and what happens in some of us through our deeds, it incapacitates our ability to give God the one thing that He desires from us, y'all. The thing that He desires more than anything else in the world. Yet we love Him. And let, let me just take you to a couple of places here before we actually get into this. I, I know you're nervous about this study sheet, and to be quite honest with you, I'm a little nervous myself. <clears throat> well, let me just ask you this. As I was bringing you through those children of, children of, were you, was I going too fast? Okay, because I'm going to need to kind of get a little timing going here so that I don't frustrate the fire out of you, because we're going to do a lot of writing here in just a few minutes, so... So soak it in right now, y'all, and make sure that you understand what's, where we're going. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, you don't have a long time to get into this, so just get this in, in your head for those of you that may be a little bit newer to the Bible. In the Old Testament, God's chosen people were, was the nation of Israel. Now, in the New Testament, God is no longer, at this period of time, dealing with the nation of Israel. He's now dealing with the church, and the church is comprised of individuals like me and you. Now, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel pictures for us the individual believer, not the church of Jesus Christ, 
but the individual believers. So we can go as individual believers and look at what God is saying to the nation of Israel, and you know what? We can find a counterpart for that in the New Testament. So, so understand, that individual believer is, is who we're going to see represented here in the, in, in the nation of Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, as he's talking to the nation of Israel, we're making application to us. Look at what God says in verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Do, do you understand that about yourself? If you're a believer in Christ this morning, do you know that that is true? Verse 6 is true of you. Above all of the people that are on the face of the earth, you are special to God. It's an incredible, th- it's an incredible thing to me. And check out verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you the fewest of all people. Yeah, in other words, you know what? You didn't get this special place in the heart of God because of anything you brought to the table, because of anything that you were, or anything God saw in you because there was nothing for him to see in us. You know how we became this special people? Look at verse 8. But because the Lord loved you. You know why, you know why the Lord loved you? Because he loved you. Well, well, I mean, what, were the, what are the reasons? There were none. He just loved you. And, and, and go over to chapter 10 for a second. And now Israel, and now believers in Christ, verse 12, Deuteronomy 10, 12, and now... What doth the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and the statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them. And he chose their seed after them, even you, above all people, as it is this day. And you know what? We can go back through church history and we can see. Some of you come from a a heritage to where your parents and your grandparents, they knew the Lord. And you know why? You know why God loved them? There's no reason. And you know why you now are a child of God? There's no reason other than the fact that God loved you. And just jot down the reference. We won't take the time to go there. But 1 Samuel 12, 22, you know what it says? It pleased the Lord to make you his people. Isaiah 43 and verse 4, it says, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. You were just precious, God says. Anybody here think you were precious before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Anybody here think you were honorable? Anybody think you were worth loving? And God just keeps saying, no, listen, I can't explain it to you uh, other than the fact that I am love. Ephesians chapter 4, 
uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. You, you can look at that later. Let me take you to Titus chapter 3. Titus. Chapter 3, and look at verse 3. For we ourselves also, Titus, some, I still hear the pages, Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, Serving divers lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And what I'm just trying to get you to see is that what God was after, guys, what He's been after all along, was a love relationship with man. I can say this unashamedly to every person that is in this room this morning or those that will listen on a tape someday. The God of the universe wants to have a personal, intimate, love relationship with you. You say, well, I don't deserve that. Okay, you're really close to understanding this thing now. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you. And you know what? You can go through the Word of God and you can see it over and over and over again. God just longing to have a love relationship with us. I, I, I love it in, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. God comes in the cool of the day into the garden to walk. That's what it says to walk with Adam and Eve. Do you remember, fellas, back in the old days when you, when you fell in love with that girl? And for no reason at all, you used to just want to go take a walk. Now, I mean, it's like, take a walk? What are you, you, you all right? But back in the old days, you know, I mean, when we fell in love with that girl, man, we just, there was just something about walking and God comes down into that that garden to walk with him in Ezekiel chapter 3 in verse 22 he, he says to Ezekiel Ezekiel hey listen come out to the plain because I want to want to talk with you check this out the God of the universe is inviting somebody to go out into a garden and let's just walk. He in, invites a guy to just come out into the plain and, and listen, let's just, let's just talk. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 20, you know what God says? 
Listen, Isaiah, why don't you go into your chamber? That's the innermost part of your house. And he says this, and shut your door and hide thyself therein for just a little while because I want to be alone with you. How about that? The God of the universe wants to walk with you. The God of the universe wants to talk with you. The God of the universe wants to get alone with you. In Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, check it out. Solomon, the son of David, says to his Shulamite woman, his Gentile bride, you got it? The son of David with his Gentile bride, that's us. What he says is, listen, come out to the field so that I may share my love with you. The God of the universe wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He'd like to just get alone with you. He'd like to share his love with you. And most of you, probably 75% of you have already seen this. This is one of my favorite ones. I, you know what? All of those are my favorite. That God would desire us like that. But, but check this out. Over in Exodus. Exodus chapter 24. Now, this is where God is going to give to Moses the, the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is a monumental thing that's going on here. I mean, hey, we've got to get those commandments out, buddy. And that's true. God wanted to get those commandments out. you just got to love this, man. Exodus 24, verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and I will give thee the tables of stone and a law. Whoa, 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 whoa. Go at it again. Come up to me into the mount and be there. Colon. Because I want to give you the Ten Commandments, but you know what? <laughs> we got time to do that. You know what? What I want you to do is I, I want you to just come up and I'd just like to be with you. Does it, does, it, does it do anything to your heart at all that the God of the universe wants to be in the garden of your life and walk with you? That the God of the universe wants to be in the plane of your life to talk with you? That the God of the universe waits in the innermost parts of your house every day for you to go in to just get along with him and hide yourself there for a few minutes? Does it do anything at all to know that the, the field, which is the world, that God says, listen, get out into my field because that's where we'll, I'll share love with you and I want you to come up into the mountain. And right up there at the top of that thing, you and I, we can just be alone and, and check this out. You know what he says to us, the Gentile bride in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. You know what he says? One of these days... I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to my father's house. 
You know why? Because it is there that we will ever, listen to it, be with the Lord. You know what this whole thing is all about, y'all? It's being with God in an intimate, personal, love relationship. And we have so distorted this in the last days because what we've done is we've made the message of the gospel. Would you like to go to heaven when you croak? There's a hell to fear. There's a heaven to gain. And you know what? All that's true. Yeah, man, it is. Hey, I, I want to tell you, if you're not saved this morning, there is a hell to fear, and you need to fear it. But listen, the issue with this whole thing with God is not. He wants to send all the bad people to hell, and he wants to take everybody to heaven so they can float on clouds and play the harp and wear golden slippers. What this thing has always been about is a love relationship with him. And in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, you know what God does? He brings it down to the bottom line to show us. A man comes to him, and he doesn't have a proper motive in coming and asking Jesus about this. But he comes and he says, hey, listen, if you're going to boil it down into just, you know, one thing, I mean, what would it be? What is it that God's really after? What does he really want from me? And check it out. I mean, I know we missed this for a lot of years. It's been sitting there all along. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, follow on your study sheet. Thou shalt, what is it? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. Okay, now we know the verse, and I know that we know it, but would you just look back over at it again? Would you notice this, guys? That God wants us to love Him. This thing is not all about just simply respecting Him. It's not just about admiring Him. God's not just interested that we honor Him that we trust Him, that we praise Him, that we believe Him, or that we're sympathetic toward Him. Now listen, all of those things are good. And you know what? For most of the people in this room, they're true. We respect Him, we honor Him, we praise Him, we believe Him, we trust Him, we do all of those things. But can you honestly say that you love Him? And you know what? You can do all of those things that we mentioned and miss loving him listen i tried to walk you through and just in a in a bird's eye view just try to get you to catch god's heart what he's always been after is that love relationship and what he's looking for from us is that we would love check this out him love him you see a lot of people think that they they love the lord when what they really love when you really boil it down, what they love are his gifts. 
They love His blessings. They love His goodness. They love His power on their lives. And, oh, they wouldn't want anything. They, they don't sin. Not because of love. For Him. But for love of self that wants to make sure that we don't do anything that would cause God not to give us His gifts, His blessing, His power. He, he says, here, I want you to love me. And, and not, just, not just with your heart, not just with your soul, not just with your mind, not just with your strength, All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Not some, not part, not a lot, not most. But with all of your heart, all your soul. Now, now, now listen, I know everybody in this room, 95%, can quote this verse. Have you ever stopped to think about what it means to love him with all, all of your heart? All of your soul? All of your mind? All of your strength? Isn't it weird how the most common verses, we never really stop, and have you ever, what's the diff? with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? Or, or is this just terminology that God's throwing out? So what does it mean to love God, first of all, with all of your heart? Now, sharpen your pencil, y'all. Okay? Now, now listen. There's some of you that God is just going to take His Word and He's going to minister it to you. Some of you are going to get every blank filled in on your study sheet today. Now listen, we're going through all of this so that we can get the Word of God coming in us. So we begin to see this thing. Do you want to love God the way that He loves you? you got to do it, he says, with all of your heart. So what does it mean to love God with all of our heart, the only way that we can comprehend that is by understanding what is God's desire for our heart. So you know what I did? I went through the Word of God. I did your homework, okay? I went through the Word of God, and, and I just looked up every place where God talked about a desire that He had for our heart, okay? So if we're going to love Him with all of our hearts, we know that it's going to be related somewhere within these parameters. You following the thinking? Hello? Okay, let's move. All right. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 6, God lets us know that it's His desire that His light would shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 3.17, He lets us know that it's His desire that Christ may dwell in our hearts, by faith. Galatians 4, 6, that the Spirit of His Son would be sent forth into our hearts, crying, Abba, 
Father. And already, do you begin to see already this is all about a relationship? This whole, it's all, this heart, it's all about dwelling with God and the, the glory of God, coming to God as Father in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, that our hearts may be established, unblameable in holiness before Him. James 5.8, that our hearts would be established in anticipation of the coming of the Lord. Hebrews 13.9, that our hearts would be established with grace. 2 Thessalonians 3.5, that our hearts would be directed into His love. Proverbs 22.17, that we would apply our heart unto His knowledge. And Proverbs 23.12, that we would apply our heart unto His instruction. Proverbs 2.2, that we would apply our heart to His understanding. In Proverbs 4.23, that we keep or guard our heart with all diligence. Are you keeping up? 1 Peter 3.15, that we would sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. James 4.8, that we would purify our hearts. Luke 8.15, that we would have an honest and good heart. John 16, 22, that we would have a rejoicing heart. John 14, verse 1 and also verse 27 of that chapter, that our heart would not be troubled or afraid. 1 Timothy 1, 5, that we express charity out of a pure heart. 1 Peter 1, 22, that we love one another with a pure heart fervently. 2 Corinthians 8, 16, that we have earnest care in our hearts for others. Acts 4, 32, that we be of one heart with other believers. Romans 5, 5, that His love would be shed abroad in our hearts. Romans 6, 17, that we would obey from the heart and believe with our heart. Romans 10, 10. Hebrews 10, 22, that we, that we draw near to Him with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Okay, now, now, now don't turn your sheet, okay? Now, now just, just look at that list. Do you get it? Look at it. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart when the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is shining unto us and Christ is dwelling in our hearts and He sent forth His Spirit where we cry, Abba, Father, we're uh, established in, in holiness and in His coming and with grace we're directed into, into his, his love. We have this knowledge and under, instruction and understanding. We're guarding our heart. We've sanctified the Lord in our heart. We're purifying our heart. Our heart is honest and good and rejoicing. It's not troubled or afraid. We have love in our heart toward other people. And you know what? Then, when those things are taking place in your heart, then you are free to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And listen, Satan knows that there is nothing. Are you listening? Satan knows that there is nothing that will shut your 
heart down faster or incapacitate your heart from fully loving God any faster or more fully than moral sin. I mean, listen, if this is the one thing that God is really wanting from us, that we love Him with all of our heart, listen, there's nothing He would rather do than get this group of people somehow, some way, to where we have got something in our hearts other than what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to be there because He does not want us to love Him with all of our heart. And what I want to show you here now, you can... Now you're permitted. <laughs> what I want to show you here is what God shows us about the ability that we have to bring something other than all of these things into our hearts whereby our hearts are destroyed, whereby we're incapacitated from loving God with all of our heart. Check this out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, talks about those who commit adultery. Listen, in their heart. You getting the point? God wants you to love Him with all of your heart. Let me just ask you now. How much adultery can there be in your heart before you no longer have the capacity to love God with all? of your heart. Matthew 9, 4 talks about those who think evil in their hearts. I, and again, we can go through every one of these. I'm not going to do it. I, I, but I want to make sure you get the point. Just ask yourself, how much evil can I think in my heart before I'm no longer able to love God with all of my heart? Matthew 13, 15 talks about people whose hearts have been waxed Gross. Matthew fifteen nineteen talks about people who have evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, listen, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies in their hearts. Second Peter two fourteen talks about those with eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, who have a heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Oh, would you listen to that? It's Laodicea. We've exercised our heart in this whole arena of sexual sin. Acts 7.39 talks about those whose hearts have been turned back again to Egypt. And Egypt, of course, is always a picture of the world and sin. In the Bible. It, it's, it's Laodiceans, y'all. Romans one twenty one talks about those whose heart is darkened and has become foolish. Romans one twenty four talks about those God gave up to uncleanness because of the lusts in their hearts. Romans 2.5 talks about those who have a, a hard and impenitent or unrepentant heart. Ephesians 4.18 talks about those who have blindness of heart and oh man I'm telling you it is just so amazing how blind people in moral sin can become to the the stuff that is just so basic to the Christian life I mean just absolutely blinded it, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 10 talks about those who grieve God because they always 
err in their heart. E-R-R, not A-I-R. E-R-R. They err in their heart. There's error there. James 3.15 talks about those who have bitter envying and strife in their hearts. James 1.26, and this is the epitome of Laodicea here, talks about those who deceive their own heart. And what I'm trying to get you to see here, okay, don't miss the point. It's, it's real simple. A lot of Bible, I, I know. And I, I know, you know. Oh. Listen. If we're going to get out of this thing, y'all, I can just promise you it's going to be because of that book. It ain't going to be because I browbeat you and we all go on a, leave out of here on a guilt trip. You know why? I, you know what? If, this, if anything's going to get us out of it, y'all, it's going to be this book. And so what, I, what I've done here is given you something that you could study for the next, you know what? There's a, about 150 verses represented in this message today. And you know what you can do? Just get those verses to where they're just going through you constantly. You know what that's called? The washing of water by the Word. But what I'm trying to get you to see, the God of the universe, listen, wants to have a love relationship with you. But He wants us to love Him. Not just with our heart. He wants all of our heart. And what I'm trying to get you to see today in the midst of all of these horrendous things that sexual sin does what it does is it keeps us from being able to love God with all of our heart something through moral sin whether it be in thought or deed something happens in our hearts but not only our hearts he wants us to love him with all of our soul Okay, so what does it mean to love God with all of your soul? The only way that we can comprehend it is by understanding what is God's desire for our soul. And what you're going to begin to see here is a soul that represents all of what God desires. Check this out. Our Lord's invitation to us in Matthew eleven twenty nine was that we find rest. For our souls. Do you remember the days when you were at unrest? His, his invitation was, hey, listen, find rest for your soul. And that rest is, is found in being returned, 1 Peter 2.25 says, to the shepherd, capital S, the shepherd and bishop of our souls. You see, listen, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26, what it says is that Satan held us, before we got saved, he held us captive at his will. And you see what happened? Jesus came with an invitation. Hey, would you like to find rest for that soul that's being held captive? And you know what happened? By his power, we were returned to him, to where now he is the shepherd of our soul, y'all. That's what the God of the universe wants to do to your soul. He wants to bring rest to it. He wants to, to shepherd your soul. And now that our souls have been returned to Him and we found in Him a shepherd, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, His desire is that our souls would be presented blameless. Actually, it should be preserved. A little typo there. Souls would be preserved 
blameless until He comes for us. Do you see that? He brought rest. He returned your soul. And now, since He's done that and He's made your soul righteous, He wants that soul to be preserved, blameless. Hebrews, or 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, He says that our souls would prosper. Hebrews 6.19, that our souls would be anchored in hope in Him. 1 Peter 4.19, that we would commit the keeping of our souls to Him in well-doing. 1 Peter 1.22, that we would purify our souls. How do you do that? He, he tells you, in obeying the truth and loving the brethren. That's how you purify your soul. Obeying the truth and loving the brethren. Luke 1.46, that we would magnify Him with our soul. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, that we would impart our very souls to our disciples. And you see, if you want to know what it is to love God with all of your soul, it's, it's when you found rest for your soul, you've been returned to Him as your shepherd, it's when He preserves your soul blameless, your soul is prospering, it's anchored in hope, it's kept, it's purified, it's magnifying, and, and when you see, when all of those things are happening from our soul, we love Him with all of our soul. And because that's true, there's nothing that Satan would more want to do than get you in moral sin. Because listen, just like moral sin incapacitates you from being able to love God with all of your heart, moral sin affects your soul so that you can't do, listen, the very one thing. When God brought it to a bottom line, He said, I want you to love me with all of your soul. And when moral sin comes into the picture, guys, it's an impossibility. It's not that it's hard. It's an impossibility. Look at what he says. Here's the ability that we have to destroy our soul. Proverbs 6.32 talks about those who through moral sin destroy their own soul. That's taken right, that's exactly what the verse says. Those that commit adultery destroy their own soul, the soul that you got in you so that you could love God from the, from the innermost part of your being. Moral sin. We destroy, God says, our soul. 1 Peter 2.11 talks about the fleshly lust which war against the soul. Listen, when you are lusting, there is war that's going on in your soul. When war is in your soul, let me just tell you, you're not loving God with all of your soul. Proverbs 15.32 talks about those who refuse instruction, who despise their own soul. Proverbs 8.36 talks about those who through sin wrong their own soul. It is so wrong, you know, for us to do this to our soul that God gave for us to love Him. 2 Peter 2.8 talks about those who vex their righteous soul through moral sin. Here it was, man. God made our souls righteous the day that He saved us through moral sin. We vex it. I mentioned it last week. It's a, 
It's a shrinking of your soul. If you can, here's a football, okay? And the, 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 the football has got that leather surrounding. On the inside of that, there's a football-shaped bladder in there, okay? And then you put that needle in there, and you pump it up. The air goes into that bladder, which forms to that, that leather outside. That's exactly how you're made up. You've got this outer shell, this body. On the inside of you, you've got this spirit-shaped bladder, if you will, this body-shaped bladder that God wants to be filled with the Spirit of God through moral sin. You take that bladder and you let the air out of that thing and it, it shrinks within you. And you, listen, you look in the mirror the morning after moral sin. I look the same. Nobody will know. And you don't know. You just have no idea what's taking place on the inside of you. The vexing that takes place through that. So that people can come into a service with their soul vexed and the Word of God just be on a shotgun on scatter, man. Just everywhere. But the soul is so vexed that as the Word of God is seeking to be injected into this body so it can get into the soul, the bladder is so flat. You know that little part that comes up into the, the, the leather so that the air can get in it? it it's falling out. So here comes the Word of God, and you're just pumping it right into that body, but it, there's no connection into the soul. And you see, that's, what, that's what's so deceiving about a place like this. Is you come in here, and the Word of God is just all around you. It's all around you, and you go out and live the same life every week. You know what? You better make sure that your soul is not vexed to the place that that Word of God's not finding entrance. The Spirit of God always works in conjunction with the Word of God. And listen, when the soul is vexed, you're going to need some help getting that thing pumped up. It's going to take some work. If that's ever happened to your football, you've got to take those laces out, and it's a big hassle. You've got to get down in there and do some work. And you know what? Some of you just need to get to the place where you understand you need some work. You need... You need some help. I'm not talking about professional, you know, you need to go see a shrink. I'm talking about you need to just begin to open up with your discipler. You need to set an appointment with one of the pastors. Because listen, it's not enough just that you read the Bible every day, come to church, preaches the Bible. You better make sure that something's happening in that soul, because I'm telling you, through moral sin. There's a vexing that takes place in your soul. Proverbs 21.10 talks about the souls of the wicked who desire evil. Sounds like Laodiceans. Oh, they wouldn't do it. But oh, do they desire it. You know what? Let, let's let's just let's just move through this, okay? I I, I don't want to pick back up here n next week. Let, let's just try to make it through. All right. So God says, I want I want you to love me with all of your heart. I want you to love me with all of your soul. And then He says, I want you to love me with all. 
of your mind. How do, what does that mean? That God wants us to love him with all of our mind. The only way that we can comprehend it is by understanding what is God's desire for our mind. What does the word of God say that God wants to see happen with our minds? Hebrews 11.15 says that we would no longer be mindful of that country from which the Lord has brought us out. That country is what we call the world. He brought us out of this world system over which Satan is the head. And he says, listen... Now that you've been saved, I don't want you to be mindful of that system any longer. Romans 12, 2, that we would no longer be conformed to this world, but would be transformed by the, say it, renewing of our mind. Ephesians 4, 23 echoes that, that we would be renewed in the spirit of our mind. 1 Peter 1, 12, that we would gird up the loins of our mind, that we would be strengthened in our mind, in other words. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, that through prayer our minds would be kept in the incomprehensible peace of God. Acts 17, 11, that we would receive the word with all readiness of mind. 2 Timothy 1, 7, that we would have a sound mind. Titus 2, 6, that we would be sober-minded. 2 Peter 3, 1, that we would have a pure mind. Luke 12, 29, that we would not be of a doubtful mind. Romans 7, 25, that we would serve the law of God with our mind. Colossians 3, 12, that we would put on humbleness of mind. Acts 20, 19, that we would serve the Lord with all humility of mind. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, that in lowliness of mind... We would each esteem others better than ourselves, having the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.10, that we would be perfectly joined together in the same mind with others in our local body. Philippians 1.27, that we would strive together with others in our body for the faith of the gospel with one mind. Romans 15.6, that we may with one mind glorify God. Romans 8, 6, that we would be spiritually minded, which is life and peace, he says in Romans 8, 6. And Pastor Frank is in the back going, you know what, that this might be one of those times to where the Word of God, you know what, I, I just wanted the Word of God to do its thing today, and... And this is of such a nature that I'm afraid what's going to happen to us. We're going to end up rushing through this thing so that we can fill our, get our little sheet in and we're going to miss this whole thing of what's really going on with this, this moral sin. And what we're going to do now is we'll, some of you are already packing up and that, that's cool, but just listen for just a second. We'll pick up here tonight. And we're, we're going to begin to just tie this whole thing together so that maybe what can happen to us is we can, maybe for the first time in our life, some of us, get to the place where we're giving God what He deserves and what He really wants from us. And, and, and I'm just telling you, we, we miss it because of what goes on inside of us that we have no idea 
of how that affects our heart, how it affects our soul, and as we'll see tonight, how it affects our mind and even our strength, our, our body. Now, Lord, we just desire to be what you want, and yet we are so blind. We Today is a, is a great case in point. I, I think that a lot of times we have just missed what's really going on inside of us. Maybe thinking that because nobody knows what's happening on the inside, that maybe there's nothing really happening. And yet, what you're allowing us to see this morning is that we're being devastated from being able and incapacitated from being able to give to you the one thing that you desire from us more than anything in the world. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would put a hunger in in our hearts. I pray that this would transcend just a study sheet where we filled in a lot of blanks. I pray that this might become something that you would use to cause us to search your word and, and have a, a longing inside of us to give to you what you long to receive from us. And Christians, could I ask you just to be praying about your situation? And and you know what? And if this doesn't affect you, if this is not where you are, you already love God with all that is within you, then would you do this? Would you pray for lost people in this room? But those of you that are here this morning and you have never received Jesus Christ, you know what? I'm so glad that you are here today to be able to understand that the God of the universe wants to have a love relationship with you. He doesn't just want to take you to heaven when you die. He wants to have a love relationship with you. But listen, as long as you choose to remain in your sin and never come to God and ask Him forgiveness of your sin, that love relationship cannot be a possibility. God loved you so much that He became a man Himself for the purpose of, on that cross, becoming sin so that He could pay for our sin. He had no sin of His own. The Bible says He took our sin and became sin for us so that you and I might be able to come to a place like today where we understand that there's nothing that we can do about our sin, and so God did it for us because He wants to have a love relationship, and that's what we were created to have in the beginning. And so, today, if God has taken this, this, this truth of, of what He desires from you, this love relationship, and you would like to be born into that relationship, our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room as we're dismissed here in just a, a minute or two. And it's an invitation to you to come and respond to what God is, is, is doing in your heart. And uh, 
All you have to do is just walk up to them and just say, you know, I'd like to talk to somebody about receiving Christ. It's, it's that simple. Nobody's going to force you into making any kind of decision or doing anything. We'll take you to a private room where we'll simply spend some time answering whatever questions, but showing you from the Word of God how you can enter into a personal love relationship with Him this morning. And we hope that you'll respond to that. Lord, would you please take this message and use it to draw people to yourself and to the relationship with them that that you desire to have. And Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that even this afternoon you would begin to take your word to our heart and pray that we would come back in anticipation tonight of you pulling all of this together to show us how we might love you the way that you desire to be loved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.